0: Hey guys, welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. We got a pretty good crowd tonight, which is pretty cool. (laughs) I see someone wants the whole theme song. Sorry. I, we just don't have time. We got too much stuff to cover. Uh, so today we have a special guest. So one of the things that I know the least about is mushrooms. So I've got a buddy of mine, Avery from high country fungi, fungi, uh, who's going to come on to, uh, chat with you fine folks and uh answer some questions and teach you some stuff because i can't so avery say hi oh i see uh my com- comrade max is in
1: attendance good to see you max and good to see well good to talk to everyone um being here, a big fan of the podcast so it was an honor when andy asked me
0: to join yeah so i'm looking forward to learning something because i've grown mushrooms once uh and it was the toilet papered method where you like soak the the toilet paper roll and inoculate and it was all right i i probably should have gotten a lot more mushrooms out of it than i did because i don't know what i'm doing um but but it was fun and i i like mushrooms so i want to learn more so that that's where you come in no pressure (laughs) well that's awesome
1: that that was like your only venture in mushrooms because that's like that's the lowest tech, but that is what like, I would encourage with it's like just for a fun project. Um, because it's just to show that you can expand from there. Um, just, uh, I'm gonna get into basically a brief overview I'm gonna tell you my history. Uh, we're located in West, Virginia, uh, and I started a farm about a half ago. Uh, I really got interested in mushrooms about five to six years ago. Uh, their healing properties are what really um, kind of spoke to me. Uh, see how I look. Well, thanks. Um, and so uh, I had gotten into the mushrooms years ago, was on a totally different career path, and um, just decided to start my and a half ago once I got the space. Um, that was really the limiting factor. An old brewery in North Carolina that actually used to be uh, an old mica company. So this area used to reduce, uh, I think it was like 70% of the mica that was uh, exported uh, to Europe during World War II. So a lot of history in that building. We grow, uh, we grow commercially. So right now we provide our local farmers markets We also provide uh, multiple restaurants and we're growing anywhere at the height of season season about two to three hundred pounds of mushrooms per week. Um, So, let's see. So, sound is cutting in. I apologize. I have a decent internet connection. Nothing on this. Um, Let me know if it keeps cutting out though. And so, basically we uh intensively cultivate mushrooms um and i want to available to you all uh, some basic methods where you can cultivate at home you can cultivate for your family your friends or for a larger community and you'll have the skill set um to at least be able to do that with some confidence um Mushroom cultivation can be quite complicated, um, but it's really is about as complicated as you want to make it. Um let's see. Audio audio is good. Sorry, audio is good, yeah. Um, so that being said, uh you can cultivate mushrooms as intensively or as passively as you want. Um so basically what I'd like to tell you on first, uh, I guess in the comments if y'all would let me know kind of where your understanding uh, of cultivation is, Do uh, y'all have experience, if so, what experience, um, and I will kind of work around that. Uh, I'd like to start with some uh, fairly simple uh, it's log station. So actually, Andy, I'm going to help me with this. Um, sure. You think a good to start is, um, I mean, I can cover what mushrooms are uh, and how they work. Um, or I can, you know, know, yeah, I mean, I think, um,
0: yeah, I guess I think the, the parts that are important to understand, um, why things work, So like with the the functional components of how mushrooms grow uh, in relation to like why this is the material you might grow it in or this is where uh, why you need to keep it moist at this point and less moist at that point or whatever it might be.
1: Okay, great. So what we'll be talking about is uh, for this purpose, uh, our cultivable mushrooms uh, that are gourmet snows so things like oyster shiitake mushrooms um and all the way to reishi and turkey tail and things like that uh these mushrooms are considered primary decomposers they're saprophytes um, so they get all their nutrients from uh absorbing all all, all their nutrients from uh, non-organic non-organic matter organic uh sorry i'm a bit nervous uh <laughs> Uh but um so really how we start in the lab, I explain my process at home. So we take it to a very extreme and we start in a laboratory, a sterile laboratory. And think of instead of seeds, mushroom spores. Uh, so basically we start from spore That spore goes to nutrient media. So at all these different growth you're feeding the mushrooms. Um, At this first stage, we're feeding them in a Petri dish on on a meat agar and that is derived from seaweed and then there's additives like um, malt extract that brewers use, you can use flakes, you can use dog food. So, um, as far as a wide range of using what you have on hand, if I ran out of uh, my typical media in a pinch I could use dog food so anyways is a simple nutrient source to to get the a culture of my seed which evolves out of the spore um, which germinates from the spore uh, you know some simple nutrients so that it can continue to procreate um, so we'll start it there we'll observe the culture to make sure that it is healthy that it is growing, that it's contaminant-free is really the point of the sterile lab. Um, you're ensuring that the mycelium stays healthy, that it has no competitor organisms um, that's vying for its food. So our sterile procedure, I mean, I shower beforehand, I'm gloved, masked, um, the whole the whole getup. We're in front of a sterile flow. It's a HEPA, grade, a HEPA filter that's hospital-grade, um, which has been really, as an aside, it's been really interesting to see, just like to have that understanding and then to translate that into understanding COVID. Like I wear a mask for my cultures uh, to keep them from getting contaminated. So it's, uh, there were a lot of parallels
0: there that make COVID easier to understand. Um, so Avery, um, so in terms of the, the, I think for me personally, uh, I think about like sterilization and I feel like I'm used to, dealing with dirty things. And that's like a huge, um, I don't want to say fear, but like, how do I know I'm not going to screw up if like, I know somebody that does this professionally needs to like take a lot more steps than I'm not going to do for, like I said, a a toilet paper roll of mushrooms. Uh, like how, how does that like translate to somebody that wants to do it at home? So basically, um, if you'd like
1: to grow mushrooms, Consistently, you're going to have to find a spawn provider. Um, So that would be someone like me. And I would encourage everyone to look in your local areas and see if you can find a local mushroom cultivator. Uh, Facebook's a popular place to find mushroom cultivators. But uh, basically, once you have spawn uh, of the particular mushroom that you're trying to grow, and spawn is just usually a grain that has been colonized by the mycelium in a sterile laboratory. so so from that point forward there are a lot of nons that you can use um or techniques that you can use um one of the most popular is uh it's called cold water pasteurization it's very simple what you do is you fill a vessel like a livestock trough i have a big livestock trough captain tractor supply i fill it with chopped straw and well first i fill it with water and then i uh, Use pickling lime, or you can. I think you can use um, ag lime. You have to check, though. It's a calcium. uh, Yeah, you just have to check. But um, you basically are raising the pH of that water uh, so that it's basically killing any of the competitor microorganisms in the straw. So I will take that higher. I'll test it with my pH strips, and then I will soak my straw. And I will let that soak for about 24 hours. And then I will pull it out. And you can do all this outdoors. I mean, you obviously want to, like, clean your hands. And the best time to do something like this is in the evening. But then I would, because the competitor's spore load lower in the evening times. But I would have a big table. I spread out my straw. And then I would take the spawn that I got from my spawn provider. I would break it up. Mix it with this straw. And I would pack it in. Uh, This is where you can use any type of vessel uh, as your fruiting container. Uh, So a lot of people will use like an old laundry basket because it's got the slits in it. And you can do layers of the spawn and the uh, straw, or you can pre-mix it, um, layer it in there. And then you would find a place uh, to let it colonize. But you can use, I mean, laundry baskets. People at commercial scale will kind of will use uh, poly tubing, which, depending on your feelings about using plastic, um, you know that it, it, as long as you have another, you know, a, a bucket, you can use a five gallon bucket that you drill holes into. Um, so a little bit of spawn, uh, like a three to five pound bag of spawn, can create quite a bit of mushrooms. Um, so you would expand it. To however many fruiting containers you wanted to use, then you would find a place where it could sit around 60 to 70 degrees. Um those parameters are kind of flexible. Um especially if you're using uh these are very forgiving. Um then you let it colonize, and that process takes about uh anywhere from seven to ten days, you know, up to two weeks, Uh, and you're observing the mycelium will be. Eating through the straw, colonizing, the straw, and then you will put it into what is called fruiting conditions. So, basically, when you're keeping it dark, think of my ground or mycelium body underground. Uh, you're going to introduce it into the conditions it needs. The mushrooms are not; uh, they do not photosynthesize like plants. Are so, uh and they really only use light as uh, a trigger for growth. Um, they do sync up well with the uh, 12 by 12 um, light cycle. Uh, so, a common myth is that you know, when mushrooms grow in complete darkness. Um, we use LED lights, full spectrum for our commercial grow. Um, but I'd take your food container, put it out then you want to give it some uh, humidity. And you want to find a spot that's about 80% shade, and um, you can manually mist it. I just have a mister nozzle on the end of my hose, I just mist it down multiple times a day. Um, something I want to note is, like, so for mushrooms, they uh, contain 90% water. So when you're... Um, so, when you're, um, what? So, ninety per cent water. The mushrooms are ninety per cent water, and so you want to think that you can provide them, um, Quite a bit of water, and you can kind of based on how you want um, you can kind of base that on what weather patterns are. Yes, yeah, so cultivators using large plastic bags and vessels, cutting holes in the sides. Uh, that yeah, that definitely is an option, but it's not really reusable. Um, and
0: if you're doing this, so for I want to ask scale, huh? Yeah. Uh, quick question. Um, sure. so. One of the things that uh, you had mentioned is this, like giant basin with water and straw. And is straw something that's interchangeable based on what you have access to, or is it? Do you need something that's like a carbon-rich source or uh, a carbohydrate-heavy source? Like, what what do you know? What the necessary things are for that? Yeah, yeah. So I mean,
1: typically is sawdust uh, that has been sterilized. Now- that requires to inoculate that, just given the nature of the sawdust, it's really susceptible to contamination. Um, so we have to, to spawn or pour your spawn into your substrate, which is what your meat grow medium is called, um, in front of the sterile flow. Straw is just really forgiving, and uh, it colonizes a lot quicker. So kind of the idea is you're, you're adding your spawn to your substrate, in a large enough quantity so that it's fairly saturated so that it takes a very short amount of time to be colonized by the mycelium, thus, you know, beating out competitors. Um, I'll see in my lab sometimes if I have contamination, it'll be a spot of green and it'll be going at war with the mycelium. And uh, sometimes it will completely take it over. So you're just basically increasing your chances um, of success that way. Uh, so this is where we can kind of segue into log cultivation. Um, so in that same trough uh, around, and you can uh, cut logs multiple times a year um, for log cultivation. But um, a lot of people are probably familiar with plug spawn or loose uh, some uh, loose
0: sawdust spawn. And yeah, so could you so, just uh, quickly define a plug?
1: So uh, I will go ahead and say
0: that I don't really like plug spawn.
1: I would steer clear from it, but if it's your only option, definitely use it. Uh, plug, it's the really these wooden dowels that they get from the furniture industry, uh, soaked and, and sterilized and inoculated with mycelium. So it's very simple You're drilling your hole, a hole in your log. Plug, you're hammering it in. Uh, and you're coating it with wax. Uh, I don't, I don't like plugs because uh, loose sawdust. I just find it penetrates the log better. So the other option is, like I mentioned earlier, it was grain spawn. The other spawn is sawdust, just purely sawdust spawn, and that's what you want to use for logs. And the reason that is is because bugs get into the logs while they're colonizing and if it's they're attracted to grain so you just use sawdust and that is attracted to that so you're drilling a hole and they make a you know specialty bit for it um that you attach to a you can use a drill or a uh, angle grinders makes quicker work you're going in kind of a triangle pattern um kind of evenly spaced out and uh, creating these holes Then you plunger. It's about 10 bucks. Uh, you're taking and you're filling it up with sawdust and you're plunging it into the holes. And then you're going behind it. I usually have a prop with beeswax. Um, and you're sealing the holes up. And so once you've done your whole log, you've got it inoculated is the term for that. Um, once it's filled with the, the spawn. Soak. The log in its entirety and this is where if you don't have you can use a body of water like a river um, you'll submerge the logs uh, for a period of 24 hours and then you can crib stack them logs or you can set them on a 45 degree angle depending on the species that you're attempting to cultivate um, you're looking at anywhere from about four months to an eight month colonization period uh, these logs, by the way, they're about uh, three to six inches in diameter. So the big log, um, the longer that log will produce. The great thing about this cultivation method is that two years ago, we did about four, you know, more a whole day with just the two of us, um, and got them all soaked. You know, we had to do soaks, But those logs anywhere I, it's usually rule of thumb is uh, a year per inch of diameter so you know a three inch log three inch log could be three I've heard of six inch logs lasting close to a decade um, so when I say into uh, cultivating these passively and intensively the log method is very passive you're going to inoculate it you soak it let it colonize and then once it colonizes after that you know, period, um, you, it'll start it'll start producing mushrooms. You can induce the logs to produce mushrooms by soaking them again. You drop them um, on concrete. And that is supposed to simulate uh, a tree falling in the forest. So it's called, uh, there's actually a it in mycology called the knock. Uh, you're basically knocking a log it's kind of just causing the mycelium to wake up and they're looking to reproduce by the mushroom um, they produce out of all the holes you had your harvest um, and then you go dormant um, so depending on where you live if it's within the if it stays within the temperature ranges that the mushroom can produce at—that's um, kind of your you know, seasonal window um, shiitakes and it depends on the strain of mycelium so it really gets down to different types of say shiitakes will produce there's all seasons you have all season variety you have a cold weather variety you have a weather variety that's usually the case for a lot of these different cultivatable mushrooms like uh, oyster mushrooms you can also cultivate lion's mane um via the log method as well it's a little bit trickier but um, lion's mane has some incredible medicinal benefits, um, and it's just it's really incredible for you. Uh, So those two methods, the straw method, will produce mushrooms out of that basket or vessel uh, within just a few weeks, Um, and you will be able to get a few what are called flushes from that vessel before it kind of peters out. The other nice thing about the straw method is then you can take that, colonized straw it's rich in mycelium and you can um plant that in a garden bed so i would content i would lay out you know a raised bed or area with more straw um that you can you can sterilize that straw or pasteurize that straw with your cold water technique if you want you don't have to um but then you could use that to inoculate even more straw and then have a have a bed um, of mushrooms and you can use i mean you can interplant these around your garden um, what i'll do is we we have these big production blocks that are basically just giant sawdust blocks and what i'll do after they're done producing in the grow room is them up and put them in around the garden beds or in the garden beds um, and they will just they will just take off and they enrich the soil as they continue to decompose they'll add some fungal activity which will work with the plant roots and you know potentially allow for mycorrhizal uh relationships to form it's just i mean mushrooms are resilient they look to propagate uh themselves and once you have something kind of established Um, with them then I mean they'll just take off so Um, those two methods are like the most kind of popular and user friendly uh, for a lot of folks Um, but we can I kind of want to touch on like really low tech methods because there's a lot of work being done um, within the mycology community especially from people I follow on Instagram um, helping third world countries and people in third world countries uh, to set up a small grow, uh, mushroom grow operation and they're able to feed their families and their villages and it's pretty incredible to watch just the just the creativity that people tap into uh, mushrooms call you to be creative they, uh, this kind of this line of work call, calls you to think outside of the box um, and to use what you have, and that's, I mean, if we want to talk about kind of philosophical themes of fungi, um, there's, you know, they abound, so uh, I, I do want to address one, a couple of these records I saw, um, let's see, to the person, I tried inoculating maple logs with turkey tail plugs, nothing grew, I didn't use enough wax, and I think it was a drought year, yeah, so you definitely want to keep those logs, uh, something I forgot to mention, you want to keep, those logs well soaked. Um if we go two weeks, you know, up to two weeks without rain, I will soak those logs for 20 24 to 48 hours, uh, no matter what, even if I don't expect them to produce. Um just because they they need the water to keep moving uh and to keep healthy or they'll just dry out and just peter out. Um, so let's see
0: yeah the log method is okay. really interesting I think something a lot of folks um, especially if you've got a little bit of space anyone can find some uh, some logs that could be potentially used uh, assuming they're in- inoculated by something from from nature um, so right
1: right so that's yeah that's a great point so um, this is where it can get a little bit technical uh, as far as like ideal conditions for logs so basically the general rule of thumb is hardwoods. um, looking like hemlock because uh, it is anti-fungal. Um, but yeah, and oak is like oak range supreme. The large red oak tree that was had to be limbed. And we, that's what we made those logs out of. But so yeah, I'm once not... the, Oh, go ahead.
0: I was going to say, I've heard uh, mulberry is actually pretty good as well, uh, but I, I don't have a lot of oh, experience, okay. obviously.
1: Yeah. And this is where like, if, I mean this is where a lot of my mycelial knowledge can grow um, because people maybe you know someone hasn't tried a mulberry before or like a tree that no one's really experimented with um, so yeah finding these different uh, resources to be able to grow mushrooms I mean we're finding out all the time that we can add these different supplements um, and additives to our substrates to make them stronger and quicker um, so yeah it's there's a lot experiment, you know, self-experimentation with this sort of thing um, and you really can't go wrong a lot of times the materials are relatively cheap um, but uh, yeah, so like oak definitely reigns supreme any hardwood alder is really great um, and you want to cut those stems, um there's a, say you have, basically once you fell, you're you have a window of about, um, it's like, so think of when you're killing the tree, when the tree is dying, you're dead. All these other competitor organisms are going to um, to try and break it down. You have you know, different molds, uh, trichoderma, all these um, other competitor fungus. So, the quicker you break those down into sections and get better. Um, a little thumb is about a month, and you usually want to cut in the late winter or early spring before the sap gets up in the trees, um, because that just makes the, it makes it harder for the mycelium to move. Um, so that's kind of your window. Um, yeah, then you'll uh, you want to cut your section. I mean, think about manageable. Think about when these logs. Are wet and when they're heavy, where you're going with them and what you're doing with them. And this is kind of, you know, a permaculture approach of like really be thinking about how you're interacting. They're right behind us, um, easy access. So I, I've made, you know, four to five of some pretty you know, big logs. But, you know, if you need, if you're hauling them down to a river to do your soaking, and maybe you want to do three to four inch logs that are like, you know because once you get i mean it's a whole workout when you go to soak your batch of logs but you know some people will have them set up in a forest where they have misters set up um you know these great you know they'll have these little yeah just these little rows in the tree in the tree lines where they've got them propped up kind of in a teepee style and they've got misters so you can you can get as creative as you want
0: now uh this might be a little um kind of a deep dive a little bit but like when you're talking about like if you have logs and they're inoculated and they sit out for like two weeks that you have to soak them is there any other indicator like other than knowing the weather pattern uh like by what the log is doing or showing that would be like a hey these need to get soaked oh looks like he dropped his connection so um anyways we had a short break and now we'll tune back in uh, someone wanted just a little clarification on the sterilization process with the uh, the cold pasteurization or the cold, putting the straw in the buckets.
1: Ah, uh, yes. D- Let's see. What was the question?
0: Uh, so you had talked about the two methods, the log and the straw. So what exactly, uh-huh. um, how is the straw um, sterilized? It was through the, the low pH, right? From the the uh brine
1: yes yes so um basically you can also uh use i've used it in a pinch and it's worked you can use uh hardwood ash if you uh burn your own firewood um so that's you know, very i guess uh, alkaline so you basically pour that in and I don't off the top of my head know the exact range. I think it's um, anywhere around, I guess, 6 or 7, if that sounds right, um, of pH. But once you get it into that range, um, by testing it with your strips, then you literally let the straw just sit and soak in it, make sure it's submerged, and leave it for at least 12 to 24 hours. Um, And you want to, the kind of the tricky part is, getting if you're buying bale straw um it can be in larger pieces so you have to kind of break it down to smaller more manageable pieces for the mushrooms to eat usually about like one to three inches so i'll just get a big one of those blue um uh, just big blue barrels that they use at the brewery and throw the straw in there and take my weed eater and just you know redneck it um so (laughs) you just have at it and straw goes everywhere. If you're, you know, if you're sensitive to allergies may, may not be the best thing to do, but, um, or they have, you can even use throw straw in like a wood chipper. I think, uh, they make little over the top, just little, uh, bucket top, uh, wood chippers. You can
0: feed it through. Um, yeah, it's the idea that then, you want more surface ma- uh, mass for it to be able to exa- travel more quickly.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So I kind of, I think of mycelium at this point, it's still in its infancy stage. Um, it still needs, I mean, so when you're, you know, if you think back, even if you're not doing the lab part, you think that is like the agar is the baby food. And then you're gradually uh, acclimatizing it to be able to handle more and more. So yeah, smaller pieces for it to eat, kind of like you would a baby. And then uh, as it builds strength, that those hyphae is what they're called, um, will really just be Quite beautiful to see it stretch out and colonize the, uh, you know, the straw. And so uh, it's at that point that you will, once it's colonizing, you kind of look for contamination. Um, so once you've got your straw on your table, once you've pulled it out of your tub, really, so you really want to uh, strain it out and get it to what's called field capacity. So field capacity is where you can squeeze something say a massive straw or your uh, sawdust and just a few drops of water will come out so that's to where it's you know in that goldilocks zone of not too wet and uh, not too dry uh, too wet and it will have trouble moving through the substrate it'll kind of get waterlogged uh, and too dry you know have enough water so Like I've said before, depending on the species you cultivate, there's a lot of forgiveness with oyster mushrooms. And I would highly encourage anybody curious to start with a fast-moving oyster mushroom, particularly a blue oyster. A blue oyster is going to be your broadest range. I've fruited blue oysters at like 44 degrees, maybe even down to 40 degrees. They just grow a little bit slower all the way up to like the mid-70s. And then if you're in somewhere like by the beach, you can grow pink varieties or a tropical variety and they thrive in like 90 to 100 degree heat and they just grow so fast so that's a great option too depending on your climate
0: awesome so i want to ask uh you had mentioned uh there's some more like low tech type ways uh could you talk a little bit about that
1: yeah so um like with the cardboard method or the tube method that you were talking about um the Let's just say, for as an example, the most simple method you could do. If I was out walking in the woods, um, I wanted to try to grow some mushrooms. I find an oyster cluster. It's pretty big. You know, you're selecting your genetics in the wild. You see a big cluster, you want to take that cluster because uh, it's doing really well. But uh, you'll pop that off the tree, and you at the base, you could take just a thin slice of that um, that material there. That mycelium, and then you can wet your cardboard. You could even like pasteurize your cardboard if you wanted. You know, just soak a bunch of cardboard in warm water at um, I think pasteurization temperatures like around 160. Um, Keep it at that for a few hours. And but if you don't want to go that far, you can just wet it, Um, and then you layer your mycelium between that, and then just put it in a spot that's you know not going to get eaten and kind of warm um somewhat cleaner um and then just let it you can put it in a bag whatever and then let it colonize there and that can be kind of a starter and so you could this is like this is if you're not wanting mushrooms anytime soon and you're really trying to develop to develop a low-tech cultivation method kind of almost like a go kind of method but um I mean, Then you could transfer that could become your spawn, and you could transfer that to your pasteurized straw if you built up enough. So um, you could you take your layer of mycelium with your uh, cardboard, let that go, then maybe do a larger sheet of cardboard, or you know any kind of like paper material and the carbon material, and uh, you know make a bigger mat. And then once you have a nice kind of big piece of uh mycelium you could break that up into your straw and that would take over and produce mushrooms. I would do that more so in like if I was trying to inoculate a garden bed, just kind of a simple fun way to do that without kind of going and buying spawn. Um that um but I mean it's pretty much it for that.
0: Awesome. So um, uh, let me ask, uh, well, you can answer that question, and then I got a question about spores.
1: Okay. Does the cardboard have enough nutrients? So I mean, it, does, it, does at, it does at first, um, and then before it depends on the type of mushroom you're cultivating. Uh, oysters don't need much, um at all. I mean, I'm using, when I grow, you know, for commercial scale, I'm just using hardwood sawdust supplemented with either wheat bran or soy hull pellet and just uh, is kind of a boost but you can I mean you can spice it up you can sprinkle some azomite in there or um, you know once you get that again it's the baby food concept of once you get that mycelium growing on that cardboard or uh, carbon material then the next thing the next stage that you progress it to can have little more nutrient rich. I mean, you could put it right into some, you know, you know, vermicompost or, you know, normal compost or what have you and kind of mix it in with that too. Um, it's just kind of something, you know, if you're doing it that low tech, I would do that as just like a fun science experiment. Um, kind of familiarize yourself with the my and what works with your climate and the materials you have. On, it's like like I said, it's just something. If you want mushrooms quickly, you would go a different route. But it's definitely uh, a viable method once you got kind of your um, steps down.
0: If that makes yeah. sense. So um, I wanted to ask. So you talked about like you can go out and you see uh, whatever mushroom you happen to want, um, and you said just cut it and stuff it between the cardboard um Mm -hmm. now i know people talk about like spore prints a lot um how does that kind of fit into all this in order in the idea of like uh continuously being able to produce mushrooms
1: so basically the spore uh when the mushroom the mushroom is the reproductive body of the mycelium uh it's you know very appropriate that it's uh, kind of a a lot of them are phallus shaped um but yeah, when say an oyster fans out and get its lifespan and it says I need to procreate, it drops spores. The spores contain whole genetic package of what's available. Um and that's including what you can't see inside the tree. You see know, so you have this mycelial body the mush all you're seeing is the mushroom. This mycelial body that's running through whatever it's colonized, let's say the tree, you're getting the whole genetic package. So you're getting the small clusters. The you know, a um, pairing that has the small clusters or the big clusters. So when when I take a spore print into the lab, then I take swipes of spores. There's countless spores you swipe, and I put them on the petri dishes, and then they will grow out into that hypha, and that hypha can have different like morphological um, structures to show me that it is. Um, strong and healthy. So, if it's uh, there's what's called rhizomorphic growth, and rhizomorphic growth is very thick and ropey growth. Um, it literally looks like white ropes. Um, if you look up, if you Google rhizomorphic growth or rhizomorphia, rhizomorphic growth, <laughs> you can see what I'm talking about. But anyways, so you, I will literally be selecting to isolate a culture from that whole genetic package. So I'm picking the most strongest looking growth and growing that out continuously transferring that to new petri dishes then to fruit that out so I get the big clusters so basically what you're doing by getting a cluster off the tree like when I said if I see a tree that has multiple oyster clusters all over it um, I'm gonna pick that biggest cluster and pop it off and because I know that cluster at that base of the basically your culture of it that tissue culture is going to contain the genetic pack of that particular cluster um, instead of, say, the whole my body. So, when I'm growing at a commercial spore, um, I usually work related isolated genetics. These are genetics that have improved fruit, big mushrooms um, reliably quickly. Um, let's say I take a spore, say I take a plate petri dish that has first swipe from the spore and then i grow that out i don't even isolate the finer genetics uh, i grow that out and it grows the mushrooms of all different shapes then um, i would go take that big mushroom the quickest mushroom and i would take a tissue sample off the face of that and throw that out uh, and nice that it would would be producing a genetic of that big cluster so if i'm a couple years ago i went out and found a big lion's mane on a tree and i took a tissue sample back and this is my first successful um, nature lab to commercial production i found the mushroom i cloned the base of it i selected that growth that strongest growth different samples that I took, moved that onto my spawn, I grew it out indoors, and it was genetically the same, it's beautiful clusters, uh, you know, inside my grow room, and it's the exact same mushroom in essence that I saw on the, so, yeah, the just the, to go back to your question, the, the spores are the whole genetic package, so you're, I mean, and within that, you can, I mean, mushrooms will pop out all sorts of different traits. Um, you know, size traits, smell traits, color traits. Um, there's a lot of interesting work going on with people hybridizing mushrooms of different, you know, within the same genus. So the oyster varieties of Pleurotus species or genus, and uh, um, they're hybridizing their um, genetics there to create that have the ideal stem. Texture and the ideal, um, and the ideal shelf life. So it's you know it's like select, selecting cultivars for plants, basically. There's there's a lot of overlap.
0: Yeah. So somebody asked, um, when you're lab growing, what medium, as in type of agar, do you use?
1: Great question. So uh, you can get really generous specific with your agar. Um, what I'm finding, so kind of. Uh, try to relay a a more advanced concept in cultivation. Um, So I go from agar to a grain, and that grain is my grain master. Um, That is my cleanest culture. Um, That's the the next step of the baby food. And so you can use all different types of grain. You can use rye, you can use corn. Um, I use millet and sorghum. Um, I use what's available locally that's cheap and not having to be shipped out from the Midwest. Um, but so you can basically, I like using sorghum because my agar, I use sorghum syrup. The theory being that I'm getting my mushrooms started on this nutrient source, the the sorghum syrup. And they're, they're acclimatized to that. They know it really well. So that when I do my sterile, sorghum grain it's the uptake is rapid it recognizes the food source it goes right to it there's no delay it moves quickly through it um, which for my goals is what i want Um, but to answer your question uh, you can use um, potato what's called potato dextrose uh, agar potato dextrose yeast agar i mean there's all sorts of additives like yeast extract um, soy peptones um, you can use uh, brewer's malt, dark malt. Basically, all it is is a simple uh, sugar source. Um, and then the agar is just enough to hold it all together. It's just a gelling agent. Um, but they're finding that even different like qualities of agar. I, I now only use what's called an organic gelidium agar, and that's from a particular type of red algae um, that is just incredibly uh just one of the best nutrient sources you can give your mushrooms. Um, and like I said before, they have dog food agar recipes. So most things, uh, most cultivatable varieties will grow on any of these medias. Um, it just kind of boils down to personal preference. I find that lion's mane um, and the uh, it's a uh, heresium is the genus. Anything of that family really likes potatoes. So, um, it just, it's kind of wispy mycelium that really just takes to the potato starch and produces thicker mycelium. But, um, yeah, a lot of these recipes are interchangeable. Um, this, you know, goes for therapeutic mushrooms as well as, uh, gourmet mushrooms. I hope that answers the question.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess like for me as somebody that's new to this and, I feel like I now kind of have a a grasp, Um, but I think because we're talking about mushrooms, um, people have a little bit of nervousness about the idea of like, well, what if I accidentally grow the wrong thing and I don't know it? Uh, Could you talk a little bit about that? Like, is that a real concern or is it like going to be super obvious or um, like, is there any like things that people should just be aware of?
1: So um, that a lot of that will boil down you know, say the the real low-tech method where you're going out, we definitely want to make sure that you are, that that oyster mushroom is an oyster mushroom. But if you're getting spawn from someone uh, that's a reliable and reputable spawn producer, and I'm happy to provide y'all with a few of those. um, I produce my own spawn now, but I've gotten it in the past from these companies. But you're going to get, without a doubt, 100% just that one type uh, or that one variety of mushroom. It's been... Know, selected for it's been grown, nothing else is growing on it. And so basically you're just familiarizing yourself with say oh, this is a blue oyster. Okay, the blue oyster, you know, the gills look like this, the gills go all the way down into the mushroom, it's got this shape cap, etc Uh, there's it's really hard to kind of mess it up. Um, I would say more so I would caution people if they're out foraging to really familiarize yourselves with um you know what it is you're looking for. Uh, I personally, they have a course now you can take, and this was implemented after uh, people were getting sick at restaurants from eating uh, wild forage mushrooms. The forager didn't know what they were exactly, uh, but thought they did, and the chef didn't know either. So they've instituted these courses. It's um, so five years term, but you go and you learn about, you know, how to identify these different mushrooms. I would looking for definitely get the Audubon um, the mushroom Audubon book Look for local um, mushroom identification guides there's you know great ones for the southeast northeast um, yeah, a lot of different but a lot of the edible types you'll find in the wild um, there's really a few look alike and um, you know obviously don't eat anything you're not hundred percent sure. If you're free to send me a picture of something via my Instagram. It is. Um, there's a lot of indicators. You really, you really have to be not paying attention to get something that will kill you. Um, one that comes to mind is chanterelles and jack-o'-lantern fungus, um, which, if you really look at it, like, but somehow people confuse them. So. Um, yeah, cultivating mushrooms, unless somehow some other species of mushroom just paste over your spawn, uh, like one of the more unlikely things to happen, um, if not impossible, then definitely but that's, that's just not going to happen. So, um, yeah, there's no worry there as long as you're, you have a good spawn producer. Um,
0: yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Uh... Yeah, so I I feel much com- more confident about growing mushrooms. So hopefully that means other people do too. And I feel like I understand it a little bit better. Uh, uh, if anyone else has any questions, please uh, oh. jump in.
1: Do you, do, you, do you care if I throw a few notes on um, uh, foraging?
0: Yeah, mushrooms? go for it. I, yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay, so um, yeah, foraging. Foraging is becoming popular. I've just seen it take off in the past five years. Um, So, a lot of things, or a few things I want to note on on foraging, is mushrooms are bioaccumulators, um, meaning they're really good at uptaking, like uptaking all the different things from their surrounding environments. Urban area, or anywhere the real activity, um, or anything that may be questionable, anything that's toxic or questionable in the ground don't eat that mushroom uh i have a friend who lives in a major city uh who sends me a picture of a chicken of the woods it's beautiful man right? i mean it'd be great eating but it's you know sitting there collecting you know all sorts of road gunk and it's you know right there you know in a suburban area and it's just there's it's untelling what is in that mushroom that you might be eating um so that and also when you're foraging um, you're not allowed to forage in a few places, like uh, you know, private property, obviously. But we have a lot of national forests around our area, and um, if someone were to get caught foraging there, even though I could provide a good argument for the feds on why it's there's no harm in foraging uh, mushrooms uh, at all, really, um, you will get you know a federal offense uh, if they catch you. So it's like it's pretty ridiculous, but something that is uh, not a possibility. Um, let's see. And uh, just, I mean, turkey, familiarize yourself with uh, medicinal mushrooms. Turkey tail is an incredible mushroom that is full of polysaccharide K, which is being studied for all different types of cancer. And it uh they're finding that it allows uh chemotherapy to do its job more effectively. So it's kind of this complement to chemo in a lot of ways. Um and it grows everywhere, year round, and uh, it's one of the more easily identifiable mushrooms. Um and it's abundant. Uh, you know, go out and collect it for my extracts and things like that uh for my bone broth. I just walk to the tree and pop some off and throw it in my broth. Um Reishi grows abundantly on hemlocks, at least in the, well, I mean, the Southeast, the Pacific Northwest, really everywhere. Um, Chicken of the woods is super protein dense, uh, great to eat. So all these things, you know, seasonally, you can um, really feed yourself very well with these mushrooms uh, and your family um, or your friends, uh, if you know what you're looking for um but definitely uh, be aware of where you're foraging for you going to get shot either. and if you're foraging bright red or bright colors you know stay with a group it's easy to get lost in an unfamiliar place when you're foraging um just some general no your pointers. hunting seasons. Uh, <laughs> exactly exactly yes uh <laughs> the hippie looking for mushrooms <laughs> well,
0: yeah so yeah. uh the- um, That's super helpful. Um, I'm under the impression that most foraging books on mushrooms are pretty like good. There's, there's not like any that are uh, particularly like stay away from that one. At least that not that I'm aware of if it's from a reputable company.
1: Right. Right. Um, Yeah. It's I can, I would say uh, the companies I've had experience with field and forest products is a great company to work with. They've got fashion uh, quality products. Um, North Spore, I've heard they're decent. um, But definitely look locally and kind of expand that circle out from there because um, I've just found that I've met so many cool people in my community through this work. Um, But just like the the mutualistic aspect and the proto-cooperative aspect of uh, the mic. My ecological world is great. For instance, I take my spent subs. I met someone at the farmer's market who has a freeze dryer. That's a really good way to preserve fresh ones, uh, if not, in my opinion, the way to preserve mushrooms or a lot of food, for example. But it's expensive equipment that I don't. And this lady has very poor soil quality at her home. Uh, they're trying to you know, you know build up this quality to doing vermicompost, um, but they need. Mushroom substrate blocks to build up their compost pile. So I take them a load of substrate, and then I'll take them uh, some pre-frozen mushrooms that I had over. I'll get them freeze-dried. Um, developed a relationship and a friendship with these people. Um, wonderful, and that's just uh, just a really good way to get involved with kind of like local food sovereignty. Um, I'm working with my local hospitality house. We're going to plant a mushroom garden for them. So people can just come by and pick mushrooms and take them right to the kitchen and feed people who don't have access to healthy food. Um, and mushrooms are super good for you. They're full of vitamin D. I recommend if you find wild harvests stuff, flip it over, let the gills, the underside, go to the sun and let it sit in the sun for 30 minutes and it uptakes uh, like crazy. I think it's like somewhere like 30% more vitamin D that way. Um, but they're, you know, by weight they're one of the more protein rich sources uh, more protein than any plant um, and full of just things that help regulate your gut um oh something else i wanted to note real quick penn state is like they're kind of like the gurus of mushroom research and they have done a big study that spans from the 70s to now and they find that if you 20 grams of mushrooms a day Uh, It reduces your overall cancer risk by up to 50%. I think it's like 49%, um, which is incredible. Like, that's groundbreaking. And it's, uh, I wrote it down, Um, ergothianin is the compound that is present that uh, is responsible for those effects. And um, your bellas, your uh, portabellas, your creminis, things like that that you see in the grocery store. Those are very like subpar quality mushrooms as far as uh, the health aspects go. They contain a, a very minute amount of ergothionin, whereas your shiitakes, your maitakes, your oyster mushrooms, a lot of your wild forage stuff um, is higher in that compound. Um, so it's just they're it's, it's just a great um, kind of niche food source to incorporate. Um, that will just I've I've noticed my first. Health and wellness it's just increased quite a bit just from incorporating mushrooms, especially as far as my digestion goes, mental clarity, and things like that. So, um, awesome. I do want to recommend one book, uh, Radical Mycology, and it's by Peter McCoy. And for uh, he's def- it's definitely uh, like a decentralized leftist approach. Um, two mushrooms. It's full of just wisdom. It's a little expensive, but it's money's worth and Peter McCoy's done some great work. Um, So yeah, and I learned, I want to shout out real quick to my friend uh, out in Oregon who I learned all of this or a a good bit of this from. Uh, It's Fungi for the People. Um, The logo is a spore print and a fist. So, uh that tells you all you need to know but his name's Jay Schindler he's doing a lot of great work out there um out in Oregon I think he's south east Oregon but um, awesome Jay if you ever see cool it, thank you <laughs>
0: yeah uh Radical Mycology is a great book uh I did grab my uh foraging book that I use it's obviously yeah. for my area it's great it's a little it's literally like this it's very simple Sorry, it's backwards for me, so I keep screwing it up. Oh yeah, that's uh, but, like it, it gives you like a very clear explanation of everything. Uh, any comparable mushrooms, if you're worried about lookalikes, uh, it's it's a good little book. I think it was like seven bucks, so they're definitely out there. Yeah, um,
1: that's, that's awesome.
0: Uh,
1: I had a book right here. If you guys are like the Bible, essentially, is uh, Growing Gourmet and Medicinal Mushrooms by Paul Stamets. Uh, it's a third edition, it's thick, it's got every kind of, culti- I mean, not every kind, there's like over 500 cultivatable kinds of mushrooms, but all the main ones, how to grow them, all the different methodologies, the straw method, um, from the lowest tech to the most complicated. Um, it's been basically the industry standard um, for quite a while. So, um, you know, anyone with mushrooms knows Paul standard
0: Yep. Uh, so, uh, I th- I think that's probably it. Uh, if anyone has any other questions, uh, any takers, or do you have anything else you wanted to add, or
1: uh, no, just thank y'all for tuning into my ramblings uh, on mushrooms. <laughs> it's not often that yeah, I it have was great. <laughs> um,
0: so Avery, this has been fantastic. Um, the uh, go throw him a couple bucks on Venmo for taking his time to chat with us as uh, venmo handles right there um so i think it was really cool really interesting we do one of these a month or we're going to do at least one of these a month moving forward um also you can find high country fungi on instagram at high fun- high country fungi uh for folks that don't follow us on um instagram or listen to our podcast go check out the poor pearls almanac that's where we're most active is Instagram. Uh, I post the Discord link for folks that are interested. Uh, I do want to do a quick shout-out to some of our patrons. Um, so I owe oh, a few folks. So Evan, N-O-V-C, EY, Evan Geiger, Jared Gordon, James Gilmore, uh, William Clemens, Bryce Nelson, Devin Viola, Max Thompson, Amelia Bergen, Lionel Hunjet, Natalie, Edward C., Nick C.W., Becerra C, uh, Naki Tiki, um, Laura L, Jordan, Jackson H, Max L, The Night Library, Austin S, Elizabeth B, Caleb D, Daniel B, Sally P, Maddie R, Turtle Bug, uh, Paige B, Nate R, Nate C, Michael B, Sarah Beth, and Micah. So that's that's a chunk of the list that I owe. Um, so yeah, next uh, up for us is going to be the Solar Punk Farmer uh, next month. I believe it's January 10th. Uh, we're going to be talking about doing um, DIY um, aquaponics and uh, all that good stuff, which again, it's not really my forte. So I'm going to be learning along with you guys. So hopefully you guys found this interesting and insightful Go support our our buddy Avery on uh, Venmo if you can. And until next time, my name is Andy, and this is the Poor Pearls Almanac. Thanks, guys.